Welcome, dear listener, to the Campfire Cult Podcast. From a camper van deep in the haunted woods, I bring you first-hand accounts of chilling encounters with the paranormal. Step into the night and take a peek into the realm where reality and the supernatural collide. My name is Jazz, and I'll be your host. Welcome back, campers. Tonight we've got a couple of listener stories, another personal story of my own, and a few visits from shadow figures in the night. Tonight's two listener stories were actually recorded via voice memo app on their cell phones and emailed directly to me. If you'd like to do the same, and I'd love for you to do that, feel free to email me at contact at campfirecultpod.com, or better yet, give me a call at 720-297-8608. As always, looking forward to hearing from you. Our first story of the evening comes to us directly from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I actually went to high school and still visit often. Mary, welcome to the show. Hey Jazz, Uh, my name is Mary and I really appreciate your show. And you talk about a lot of big, scary things. And I don't have a big, scary thing to talk about, but you asked for stories, so I wanted to send in just my little scary thing because I can relate. So it's little, but it's been like burned in my mind for the last 18 years or so, which is weird because I don't think I have a very good memory, but this little thing just really stands out to me. So I was about 13 years old, uh, like 12 or 13, and my mom and I were getting dinner in Milwaukee, and it was some kind of... um, like very ethnic restaurant. I remember it being Indian. It was something like Indian or Ethiopian. We used to go to those kinds of things. And in Milwaukee, it's it's like not unusual to go into a business like a bar or a restaurant that is in an old creaky house where maybe somebody actually still lives upstairs. So it's not hard to find a, a kind of scary place to go and sit and have a meal. Uh, So they were not advertising being a scary place, but this was most definitely (laughs) kind of like it had all these kitschy decorations, but not in like a TGI Fridays kind of way. Like you could tell that they were serious, which makes it even more scary. Uh, I remember like the walls being like yellow and a lot of doily things like there may have been like plates uh, like decorated plates on the walls ceramics and those types of things I remember just being a kid and thinking like this is very strange so (laughs) the small little thing that happened to me is we're eating dinner sitting across from each other and I felt a literal hand on my shoulder (laughs) and that's it but (laughs) it so it, it it visibly made me jump Um, because I didn't expect it and I literally thought that somebody was behind me asking to get my attention and so I kind of jumped and looked back and I couldn't believe it and my mom is like what is going on with you (laughs) and I told her I was like I swear I this was unmistakable I felt a hand on my shoulder (laughs) and she kind of jokingly said maybe it was a ghost (laughs) except I was really relieved that she said that because 
that's actually what I thought it was. So you may have some more um, sophisticated explanation, like other than ghosts and maybe <laughs> something that others have talked about before, but I don't know what kind of creature it was, but I, I felt <laughs> I felt the hand. Um, yeah, and like I said, it, it's just so weird that it's just stuck in my mind for this long and like I said, small thing, but uh, I just wanted to tell a little story to relate um, and appreciate your show. <laughs> you make uh, seeing, feeling weird things feel not all that weird. <laughs> so thanks for the stories. Bye. Thanks so much for the story, Mary. This experience brings to mind one of my own and probably the last personal experience I'll be sharing on this show. My grandmother on my mom's side of the family and I were very close all my life. We even shared a birthday. Being the first grandchild, it was always a little joke in my family that she was a little bit obsessed with me. She had a wall in her bedroom that was lovingly called the shrine because all 10 feet of it was covered in pictures of me throughout my life. In 2002, she died. After spending a couple of days just outside of Sacramento, where she was hospitalized, my uncle and I decided to head back to San Francisco to grab some new clothes and sleep in our own beds before driving back to spend the remaining time with her. As I lay in bed, I was on my back with my left arm hanging off the side, thinking about my grandmother in the past few days. I began to finally start feeling sleepy and was just about to drift off to sleep. As I lay there, I started to feel a tingle in my forearm. And then after a bit of time, something grabbed it. Not a gentle grab at all, but rather as if somebody was trying to catch me from falling off of a cliff. It was actually kind of aggressive. I quickly leapt out of bed, blew through my bedroom door, and burst into my uncle's bedroom directly across the hall from me, only to find him snoring away in his own bed. I decided not to wake him, but there was no way I was going to go back into my bedroom to sleep that night. It didn't occur to me until I was able to calm down that what had happened could have been my grandmother. Now it actually makes a lot of sense to me. Being a type 1 diabetic, she lost her sight long ago and wore Coke bottle glasses just to see poorly, if not at all. You see, when she wanted to get your attention, she would often reach out and grab your forearm instead of aiming for and missing your hand. Combine that and the slight smell of her perfume that accompanied the experience sealed the deal for me. The next day, she drifted off to whatever is next for us. Since then, I still smell her perfume on occasion. It comes and goes quickly, but I always notice it and it's impactful every single time. I don't know what happens after this life. I have some theories that we can cover in another episode, but I'd like to think that she checks in on me every once in a while and lets me know she's still with me. Next, we're headed back to the Bruce City for another recorded listener story. This happened when I was a kid, just four years old. My parents had just separated, and I was staying with my mom in an upper of a duplex she was renting on the north side of Milwaukee. I had gone to bed. I was sleeping in her bed as we were kind of all clustered together in this little place, as a new starter place. And uh, I woke up in the middle of the night. I remember the lights were on in the other room, and the door was cracked open. I could see the flicker of the TV, uh, like somebody was watching the TV in the other room. I saw or felt what I thought was my mom sitting on the bed closest to the door. 
I sat up and saw the outline of a person. No features, almost like a blank mannequin, but glowing softly, white light. I screamed and closed my eyes. When I opened them, it was gone. My mom came in and saw nothing. I don't remember if I said anything to the thing, being groggy, but it left an impression on me to this day. Never forget it. I wouldn't necessarily say it was an ominous feeling. It was, I don't know, kind of comforting in a way, but being four and seeing what looked like somebody from Cocoon uh, sitting on my bed, it was it was scary, but like looking back on it, I didn't I didn't feel any malice. It just felt kind of comforting and peaceful. I never saw it again after that. This last story brings up the phenomenon known as shadow people, or even the entity known as the Hat Man. One common shadow type figure that spans across different cultures is the Hat Man. It is described as a tall, shadowy figure wearing only what looks like a top hat or a fedora and oftentimes a trench coat. It doesn't sound like our Milwaukee listener had an experience with the Hat Man, but rather something else. For our next few encounters though, shadow figures and the Hat Man play primary roles. In this next chilling story submitted by Nettie, tells the tale of a childhood encounter with a black hooded figure in an early 1900s farmhouse. I used to live in a dairy farmhouse built by my grandfather around 1903. My bedroom was located upstairs along with three other bedrooms. One night, without any warning, I suddenly woke up. As I looked towards the foot of my bed, I saw a terrifying sight. A large, black hooded figure standing at the right corner of my room. There was no discernible face, just pure darkness, but the shape was very distinct. It wasn't moving in or out of shadows, it was just there, as if someone was standing right at the end of my bed. The fear that washed over me was indescribable, and in a panic, I immediately grabbed my blankets and hid under them, trying to shield myself from the eerie presence. I can't recall how long I stayed hidden, but when I finally gathered the courage to look again, the figure had vanished. I was absolutely bewildered, unsure if I actually saw something or if it was just my imagination playing tricks on me. A week later, my parents were arguing and my mother mentioned that she had seen a similar black figure in her room upstairs. This confirmed to me that what I experienced was real and not a product of my imagination. Nevertheless, the memory of the sighting still haunts me and I often find myself gripped by the same overwhelming fear I felt as a child. I worry that I might encounter it again, especially after reading similar stories from people on the internet. This next encounter occurred in the middle of the night, where a dog's unusual behavior led its owner to a mysterious encounter with a shadowy figure. About 2am in the morning, I was woken by the sound of my dog barking in the other room. I called out from my bedroom, asking him to stop barking and come back to bed. Normally he sleeps curled up next to me as he loves to snuggle. He returned to the bedroom, jumped into bed, but instead of settling down, he seemed agitated and still in protection mode. Suddenly, he leapt off the bed as if he heard something that only he could hear and rushed back out into the living room, continuing to bark. I found it unusual that he didn't go outside through the doggy door, which he would have done if there was a cat or something else prowling in the backyard. In the Phoenix area where I live, many older homes have alleyways behind their yards, sometimes frequented by homeless individuals. 
However, even that couldn't explain why the dog stayed inside of the house instead of chasing whatever it was outside. Listening to him continue to bark, I decided to investigate. Trying to be stealthy, I didn't turn on any lights and made my way to where the dog was barking, in front of the sliding glass doors at the other end of the house. I carefully scanned the yard from left to right, and at first I couldn't see anything other than the outline of the bougainvillea just outside the backyard. Then I saw it. Standing at the right side of my yard, close to where my bedroom is, was a tall, dark silhouette of a man wearing a fedora type of hat. My heart started racing and my dog continued to bark. The figure remained completely still, but in an instant it disappeared. It didn't fade away, it was just there one second and gone the next. Frightened, I managed to return to my room, got under the covers, and eventually fell back asleep. Surprisingly, my dog followed me back in and remained quiet the rest of the night. In the morning, I checked outside through the sliding glass doors to make sure I hadn't mistaken any lawn furniture or any other objects for the shadowy figure that I saw half asleep. Turns out, I hadn't, but I couldn't shake the question of why my dog reacted so intensely. As I reflected on the experience, I wondered if it might have been connected to a recent tragedy of mine. During the Memorial Day weekend in May, I lost the love of my life due to an accidental shooting. Additionally, my dad is terminally ill, and I couldn't help but consider if this encounter with a shadowy figure had some significance related to either of these events. Isn't it interesting how when we're scared, we choose to just duck underneath the covers as if that'll protect us from the dark things in the night? In this next story by Ian, we're headed to Seattle, Washington, where a rowdy bunch of friends experience shadow entities and a near suicide because of an old rented house. From 2004 to 2006, I lived in a rental house in Seattle with two other friends and my fiance at the time. We'll call them Christopher, John, and Samantha, who is my fiance. After living in the house for a year, we started to experience something strange, and eventually all the roommates, who were skeptics at the time, confirmed reports of a haunting in the house. I first noticed a shadow entity as I was meditating and felt a presence. I looked up and saw a shadow that was darker than the surrounding shadows on the wall and it freaked me out to the point where I ran inside as fast as possible. I didn't tell anyone what I saw that night and let it go. Thinking it was a weird sleep deprived hallucination, a few days passed and I started to notice the sound of scratching on the walls in my bedroom and what sounded like stomping upstairs in the attic. This was a one story house built in the mid 1970s I believe. I'm pretty level headed so I figured it was a raccoon or rats moving in. I had a slight feeling that whatever I saw in the garage was now in my house but still skeptical. Fast forward another few days and things got really bizarre. The knocking got louder, day and night, but mostly when somebody was around to hear it and wasn't localized to just me and my own experience with it. My roommates complained of weird noises in their rooms, like clapping in the air around them, like right next to your ear. We jokingly started saying that there was a ghost in the house while still suspending belief. One night I was sitting on the couch reading, and out of the corner of my eye, I caught something walk by about 10 feet away, but nobody else was home. My roommate Christopher was heading off to sleep one evening as my fiance Samantha and I were in the other room. Samantha and I began hearing scratching and a light knock on the walls by our heads while we laid there. I jokingly told her, whatever it was, go bother someone else, and we literally heard whatever it was scurry away and walk over to the other room. The next morning, Christopher had left earlier for work than usual. He saw me later that day and asked if I had heard anything that night. I told him no nervously. He said he was getting ready to go to sleep that night. He locked the bedroom door and started to doze off. While almost asleep, he hears the door open and the sound of breathing right next to his ear. The breathing came closer and closer, louder and louder. He moved out a week later, and another friend, Josh, took his place. 
By now, with a new roommate in Christopher's old room, the haunting had become worse. Loud thumps in the walls, literal sounds of stomping up in the attic too. We braved the moment and decided to go up into the attic to look for ourselves. We climbed the drop-down ladder and poked our heads up into the attic. There was absolutely no space to move around up there. It was barely a crawlspace attic and we immediately felt weird, dashed back down the ladder and closed the door. By now, we knew we had a ghost, but the reality was, I knew it was a shadow person based off of what I saw. My friend Josh, who took Christopher's room, began acting really weird over the course of a week. He started getting more and more depressed, drinking more, and he tried to hang himself in that very room at the end of his bender. The weird part was, through a series of text messages, Christopher and I received a call from our roommate Jason while we were out for the night regarding Josh sending him a suicidal text message. Thankfully, we were able to make it back to the house in time to pull him off of the rope and have EMTs revive him, even though he was dead when we found him. I moved out a week after that. This story reminds me of one that took place in Long Island, New York in 1974. First, this bulletin from the WOR newsroom. Six members of one family have been found shot to death in their night clothes in their expensive home in Amityville, Long Island. The only available information at this moment, according to the Amityville Village Police, is that the, the victims have been identified as members of the DeFeo family. They were found by a 23-year-old son, Ronald DeFeo, who is believed to be the only surviving member of the family. Six members of the family found shot to death in their home in Amityville, Long Island. We will have further details on the 11 o'clock news. This is the most notorious haunted house in the world. It is to be found in the sleepy seaside town of Amityville, an hour away from the hustle and bustle of New York City. 30 years ago, a truly horrifying crime was committed here, when six members of the DeFeo family were shot dead in a single night. Even now, the details of exactly how these brutal murders were carried out remain shrouded in mystery. One year later, the Lutz family moved in. They fled from the house having lived there for only 28 days, claiming that they had been driven out by terrifying and unexplained supernatural forces. Their story was the subject of a media frenzy, turned them into celebrities and became a worldwide bestseller, the Amityville Horror. Now I have to be honest, I've always wanted to live in a haunted house, but stories like this really make me want to think twice about that. Now on to Jeremy's story. After returning from Afghanistan, a soldier encounters a shadowy entity in his room. I had just returned home from Afghanistan, and the joy of being reunited with my family was overwhelming. That night, as I lay next to my wife, ready to drift off to sleep, something startled me awake. I couldn't identify what had woken me up. I tried to move, but I couldn't control my body fully, only my eyes and the ability to make a grunting sound. It was then that I noticed a dark figure in the corner of my room, a tall black silhouette just standing there. The mysterious figure moved towards me suddenly and then fell to the floor. Although it vanished from sight, I could still hear it crawling maniacally towards me, emitting a terrifying growling sound. I struggled to make enough noise to wake my wife or reach out for help, but fear overwhelmed me. Until that moment, I had never believed in the supernatural, god, or demons, but this experience shook me to my very core. As the entity reached up and grabbed my leg, it started to climb up my body, getting closer to my face. I wondered whether it was feeding on my breath, fear, or even my soul. 
Fueled by fear, I mustered enough strength to forcefully throw it off my body, sending the entity flying to the floor. When I stood up, ready to fight, it had disappeared. However, this was just the beginning. The entity returned repeatedly, becoming a regular visitor in my life. As time passed, I stopped fearing it and actually grew a little bit more curious. To find answers, I began researching and learned about the shadow people phenomenon. I even started glimpsing it outside my bedroom, always lingering at the edge of my vision. Because I was no longer afraid of it, it seemed to visit less. Although I remained uncertain about its nature or motives, I have come to believe that it preys on people with weak wills. Because of this, I advocate to embrace strength and fearlessness, which will cause it to seek easier targets. It has been 11 years since the first encounter, and although it occasionally returns to test my resolve, I stand firm, knowing that I'm no longer its prey. As we'll see in this next story, not all hauntings are from strangers. When I was 14, my dad passed away, and although he wasn't the best person, there's no need to feel sad about it. When he was alive, he loved to scare people by sneaking up on them and catching them off guard. He had a habit of silently creeping up and standing in the corner of their vision until they noticed him staring at them. After he died, strange things began to happen. I'd be in the living room watching TV, and out of the corner of my eye, I'd see him glide into view from the front entryway. When I looked over, he would disappear. Initially, I tried to brush it off as fatigue or my mind playing tricks on me, but there were other eerie encounters. My dad loved watching history and nature shows on channels like the History Channel, Discovery, and A&E, and he was always up late watching them at a very loud volume. After his passing, at least once a week, I would hear the TV playing documentaries on ants or biographies on historical figures in the middle of the night. Initially, it scared me, especially since my brother, who is deaf, wasn't responsible, and my mom worked nights while my sister lived away from home. There was also a strange incident with the front door. After my dad's death, the locked and chained front door would sometimes open on its own, allowing the cat to come inside. This happened in front of various family members during the winter after his passing, but the event that really shook me was when I was in the basement watching TV one night, and my mom, who was in the living room, stomped on the floor to get my attention urgently. I rushed upstairs to find her sitting in a chair with a wooden TV tray table in front of her, and on the table was a styrofoam cup violently shaking. I checked for any hidden wires or strings, but found nothing. The cup would continue to shake on the table, even when I picked it up and put it back down. My mom was convinced that it was my dad playing tricks on us. The combination of these eerie experiences and the visions of him in the corner of my eye, the cat coming inside through the locked door, and the strange shaking of the cup terrified me. But my mom kept saying it had to be my dad, who was a trickster, causing these disturbances. In a moment of frustration and fear, I shouted, if that's you, Dad, knock it the fuck off. And miraculously, the shaking stopped instantly. From then on, the cat had to actually wait for a human to open the door for him. The late night documentaries ceased, and I never saw my dad's creeping presence again. As creepy as it all was, I felt like my dad's mischievous spirit had been acknowledged and appeased, and things eventually settled back down to normal. For this final story of the evening, during pregnancy, a woman witnesses a mysterious shadow man in her bedroom. Why does it always happen in the bedroom? Anyway, that's uh, something for another night. When I was around six months pregnant, I was sleeping in bed with my husband and our cat. We live in Norway, and in the summertime, the sun doesn't go down all the way. So although it was the middle of the night or early morning, it wasn't completely dark in our bedroom. 
I woke up from sleep because I felt my husband standing on the side of the bed, which is not unusual because he wakes up early to get ready for work, but he never just stands there until I wake up. Anyway, I watched him move from his side of the bed and walk over to where the dresser is near the foot of the bed. Since it was dark in our room, but not pitch black, I could see the shadow and realized very quickly that it wasn't my husband at all. It was a man for sure, but not the build of my husband. The shadowy man was tall and thin. My husband, on the other hand, is built like a bodybuilder and not very tall at all. I looked over to my right and my husband was actually still sleeping. I looked back to where the shadow was standing at the foot of the bed. At that moment, the shadow made a startling jerking movement. Shoulders went up and arms kind of flailed like it was surprised that I saw him and it was startled. Immediately, the shadowy figure quickly disappeared into the wall behind it. This shadow man had no features, just looked like a regular shadow you would see of yourself on the pavement on a nice sunny day. It all happened very quickly. The strange thing is that I looked down at my cat who was lying near my big pregnant belly. She was watching the whole thing and looked directly towards the shadow too. When the shadow disappeared into the wall, she jumped off the bed and ran towards this, that same wall which is right next to the bedroom door. She then exited the room and I rolled over to go back to sleep. Sleep is no joke when you're pregnant. I'm not sure, but to me, the shadow didn't feel attached to our house, but more like it was just checking up on me, maybe because I was pregnant. The reason why I think this is because I didn't feel scared or uncomfortable at all. In fact, it seemed startled by me instead. I don't know the exact history of our condo, but I believe it was built in the early 90s and there have been no deaths on the residence. It is a really small, quiet, and safe neighborhood, so I think we would have heard if something strange had happened. The history of the town we live in is ancient. I believe it was founded by the Vikings in 997 AD. And that, dear listeners, is all I've got for you tonight. Sorry about the long wait between episodes. Soon I'll be back to a normal schedule. Coming up, my loyal dog Boogie and I will be visiting the Olympic Peninsula in Washington State for a couple of weeks for another Ground Zero episode. We'll be camping all along the maze of logging roads that run throughout the Olympic National Park and surrounding areas where I'll be telling tales of strange encounters, lights in the sky, and some cases of unexplained missing people. Until next time, I'll be leaving you in the dark where whispers linger and shadows dance. Stay wary, sleep well, and beware the whispers in the night. If you have a story to tell, you can reach us via email at contact at campfirecultpod.com or leave us a voicemail message at 720-297-8608. Find us all over the place socially at Campfire Cult Pod and online at campfirecultpod.com. And finally, if you don't mind, please rate and review wherever possible.